Morning. Morning. Praise God that we get to uh, come together as the people of God to proclaim who He is. Right? That we get to be reminded in this time that we get to build our relationship with Him as we enter in and understand this word. As we approach Scripture this morning, I want to remind you that having the word preached, the word of God, is something to be taken seriously. Right? This is something to be taken with reverence. I know for myself that sometimes I can find myself going through the motions. Right? That Sunday morning can be, oh yeah, I've got to get to church, I've got to do the worship, oh, what's for lunch this afternoon, oh, what's going on Monday Right? What do I have to look forward to? But I would encourage us in this time to truly focus in on understanding what Scripture is telling us about who God is. Right? This book that we have in front of us is not like a self-help book. Right? It's not here for us to say... Not exactly, not perfectly. What does this mean for me? Right? I'm not intended to go through here line by line and say, okay, what does this mean about what's going on in my life right here, right now? Right? The initial intent of Scripture is to understand who God is. Right? Our question shouldn't be postured towards me, I, my, me, myself, and I. Right? It shouldn't be postured towards, what can I get from this? Right? A consumerist attitude that we continue to build to say, how can I get what I need from this? Right? And in the same token, we understand that if we approach the Word of God as an opportunity to understand who God is, He will work in our lives. Right? That it doesn't mean that this doesn't mean anything to us, right? That it doesn't apply to us, but we just have to remember as we approach this to ask ourselves questions about who God is. Who is this speaking, or what is this speaking to us about who God our Father is? So as we look at what we've covered over the past few months and weeks, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, right? We just finished verses, uh, the first 12 verses, which are known as the Beatitudes, right? As we looked at the Beatitudes, the key overarching message that we were understanding was the idea that Matthew was recording Jesus communicating a set of strange things. Right? Matthew was describing kind of an upside-down kingdom. Right? A kingdom inhabited by people who look different and who value different things than the world. Right? Blessed are the meek. Right? Our culture doesn't value meekness. Right? Blessed are the ones who are persecuted in the name of the Lord. We don't value the persecuted. We value the anointed. 
right? We value those who are lifted high, right? This kingdom that God is establishing is a little upside down, right? And as we continue to go through the Beatitudes, we understood that anything that exists first start with his blessings poured out for us, right? The Beatitudes, each one of them started with blessed are the Insert Satan. Right? Blessed are thee. And this was the, the lead of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He didn't lead with, this is how you should live your life. Right? He didn't lead with, this is who you are. Right? And what you should do. Right? He led with, this is who I am and what I'm pouring out on you. Right? And that's the overarching reminder that we had throughout the, the Beatitudes. Right? That these blessings are poured out on us, and then we are called to respond. Now this morning, we're going to step a little bit away from the Sermon on the Mount, and travel back to the Old Testament, and take a look at Psalm 37. Now at this time, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, there's... A set of Bibles here on the table, I'd, I'd encourage you to, to grab one. Uh, it is of utmost importance to have God's Word in front of us as we study and look at what He has to tell us. Uh, if you do grab one of those Bibles and you don't have a, a copy of Bible at home, I encourage you to take that as a gift to you. The greatest thing that we can provide to you is God's Word. As we approach the Word in Psalm 37... Please pray with me, having a personal conversation with God, restating what I say in your own words as we commune together. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we approach your word and learn from your divine guidance and teaching, please allow the words to penetrate our minds, Lord, but most importantly, let it guide our hearts. We thank you for this time in which we get the opportunity to hear your word, spend time in your presence, and learn who you are. Lord, I pray at this time, in this moment, that we would move aside any distractions and thoughts which would interrupt our time with you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that these preached words would be your words, that only your truth would be heard and understood in the hearts and minds of all those that are here today. Lord, allow us to know you more and grow closer to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your word and for giving us direct access to you through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as a context... For Psalms 37, we see a little bit in verse 25 that this was a psalm that was written by King David a little later in his life. Right? It is chock full of, as we begin to look at this, some of his personal testimonies and experiences. Right? It is considered a teaching psalm, much like we see in Proverbs. Right, kind of a, a set of wisdom literature, which is a little different than a lot of what we see in Psalms. Right? A lot of times when we approach Psalms, we see praise and adoration for our king. 
right? We see words and phrases that are meant for us to praise and acknowledge God, right? And although this does praise and acknowledge God, the intent of this psalm, Psalm 37, is to teach us, is for, is for us to learn a little more about who God is. Now, it's kind of interesting to me as we approach psalms, right, as a, as a poem, right, and, and I'm no English major here to be able to uh, articulate perfectly how stanzas tie together and, and how we speak uh, in non-prose language, right, but it's interesting to me that this psalm and a lot of other psalms were actually written as an acoustic. And for those of you that don't, aren't familiar with the, firma, the term acoustic, you're more than likely familiar with the idea. Right? When we were in elementary school, we did acoustics all the time, right? We would write mom vertically, right? And we'd fill in, our teacher would ask us to fill in things that describe our mom using those letters, right? So, M, magnificent cook, right? O, outstanding caretaker, right? Those poems, um, although innocent and kind were written really in the same way that this psalm was, right? Where King David wrote the Hebrew alphabet, right? He wrote the Hebrew alphabet, just like we write mom, vertically, right? And he started to fill in, through the divine guidance of the Lord, who God is, right? He started teaching us, line by line, using the Hebrew alphabet, about the Lord. As we look at this, as with all of the Old Testament, we also have to look at it through the lens and understanding that it is pointing forward to the coming of Christ. Right? As King David wrote this psalm, Christ had not yet come. Right? This is a prophecy. Right? This is a vision cast forward provided by God to King David to explain who the coming was, right? To explain who Jesus Christ, our Savior, is, right? So as we look at this, we have to understand that this explains Christ, our risen Savior. Even though it was written well before Christ's arrival on earth, this is explaining Christ. So as we approach that, let's keep that in mind, right? That this is explaining and providing a description of our risen Savior. So, for some of us, maybe we don't know a lot about David, right? Our author. David was called, in 1 Samuel 13, and again in Acts 13, a man after God's own heart. Right? He was a young shepherd who showed courage to come forward and slay Goliath. Right? Probably from our, our time in, in kids' church, we remember the story of David and Goliath. Right? A, a small little shepherd boy who raised his hand willing to slay the evil Goliath. Right? To, to slay this big, huge giant who no one had the courage to stand up to. Right? This is the man who's writing this psalm 
describing who our God is. Right? And after slaying Goliath, David became the leader of King Saul's army. Right? His courage was propelled into a career as a general. Right? He became the one who was leading Israel to conquer the area. Right? And David was a person, although he was entering into battle consistently, who was always asking permission and instruction from God before entering battle. Right? And because of that, God rewarded him with success in a lot of things. Right? Because of David's acknowledgement and understanding that he needed permission from God, right? that he needed divine guidance before he entered into battle, God blessed him. Now, as we, as we study David a little bit, we also understand uh, that David wasn't perfect. <laughs> Knows a little bit about David. Right? David was an adulterer. Right? He had many women that he chased after. He desired many fleshly, earthly things. Right? He struggled with, with desiring control outside of what God was providing. Right? He had sons who were continually fighting for his crown as king after, after the death of King Saul. Right? There was much strife in David's life. Although he was a man after God's own heart, he was still human. Right? He was still man. He still had imperfections. But I find that really refreshing. Right? I find that really refreshing that God to describe himself would use an imperfect person. Right? Just like today, his kingdom is being created by imperfect people. Right? He isn't using the perfect people. He didn't create an own, his own set of, of perfect soldiers. Right? He didn't create a set of people who, just like him, are sinless. Instead, he created a fallen people to undertake his mission. So as we enter in and read Psalms, let's remember that. Right? That, that, that God is using imperfect people to perfectly share who he is. So with that, we're going to go ahead and we're going to read uh, all 40 of these verses. So bear with me. Uh, keep in mind... We're not going to go line by line teaching uh, every single line. We're going to mostly focus in the first 11 verses of Psalms as we enter into the teaching. But I think it's important for us to hear and understand the context of the entire psalm. So with that, let's read. Psalm 37, starting in verse 1. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. 
You will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked, for the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The days of the blameless are known to the Lord, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster they will not wither, in days of famine they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish, the Lord's enemies will be like the beauty of the fields, they will vanish, vanish like smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, but those he curses will be cut off. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was a young man, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. They will be protected forever, but the offspring of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous man utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks what is just. The law of his God is in his heart. His feet do not slip. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, seeking their very lives. But the Lord will not leave them in their power, or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a green tree in its native soil, but he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless. Observe the upright. There is a future for the man of peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. The future of the wicked will be cut off. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them, because they take refuge in Him. So as we look at this large set of verses from King David this morning, the big idea 
that we're going to focus on is that the Lord compares the wicked with the righteous. Right? We see that over and over in here, the, the wicked versus the righteous. And he asks, asks us, as the righteous, to trust him and wait patiently for him to act. Again, the Lord compares the wicked with the righteous and asks us to trust him and wait patiently for him to act. So we're going to take a look at, like I said, for the most part, verses 1 through 11 here in Psalm 37. As we look at these first 11 verses, we see a reminder, a plea to submit to God. Right? We see the terms, do not fret, trust in the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Right? All of those expressions right, are not active. Right? They're not go-do's. Right? But they're passive. Right? They require a passive obedience and submission to God. Right? And the, the command to submit to God is not an easy one. Right? In our sinful flesh, we consistently look to put ourselves on the throne. Right? To sit back and allow someone or something else to be ahead of us is not in our nature. Instead of investing and knowing Him and seeking Him in, in Scripture, we foolishly say we know God by projecting ourselves as God. Right? We start to apply our understanding of who we think we are to God. Right? We insert us for Him. We look to make the image of God in our likeness instead of understanding our identity as in His image and His likeness. Right? The converse. Right? If we, if we truly would admit and understand on a day-to-day on -day basis that who we are is found in who God is, and who God is is found in the Scriptures, right? We would spend an inordinate amount of time here. Right? Our attention would be undivided here. Understanding and studying who God was. So that we can understand who we are. Right? But that's difficult. Like I said, our sinful nature makes us want to understand who God is by helping us and trying to understand who we are first. Right? The world tells us that our happiness is found deep inside ourselves. Right? To seek there first. Right? Look inside yourself to find your passion. 
to find your joy, to find your happiness. That's what the, that's what the world's telling us. Right? But Scripture in this upside-down kingdom that we've been talking about says, start here. Understand who your God, your Creator is, and in turn, you will understand who you are. And the second we flip that on its head, the second we start to believe the world's lie and believe the converse, we're living in our sinful nature. And we start putting ourselves on the throne. We start putting our own self-interest above everyone else's self-interest. We start to see our lives from our own lens and not the lens of God. Right? It's more convenient to focus inward. Right? It's more convenient to focus on what we need. How we can better ourselves. Right? But again, that's not God's kingdom. Right? His upside-down kingdom is calling us to be generous, to lend freely, trusting that the Lord will provide for our needs. If we live in fear that giving to others will not allow our needs to be fulfilled, we lack faith in a God who provides. So I challenge us here in the local church, to look around, to look beyond ourselves and our immediate needs. Right? To see the needs of those around us. There are people in our midst today right here who need us. We're called as the local church to meet the needs of the people around us. Right? To see and understand the needs of the people around us. Right? There are the fellow children of God need us. Which is why it's so important that we're plugged into the local church. Right? The idea that we're called here not because we're here to get something. Right? Not because we're here to, to hear wonderful worship music or to hear an eloquent speaker preach the word of God. Right? But instead that we've been called here to serve the people around us. To acknowledge and see and understand who the person to our left and who the person to our right are and how we can meet their needs. Right, so as we enter into community group this week, right, and as we enter into fellowship after today, I ask that we, that we seek that. Right, that we look beyond ourselves, that we truly ask questions in which we seek to understand what's really happening in the lives of the people next to us. Right? Instead of starting a conversation with, here's what I'm doing today, or here's what, how my life has been going, right? start to ask the converse. Right? Start to ask how other people's lives are going. Start to ask what's, what's a need that, that they might have. Right? So that's, that's our, the first point, or the first idea, right? Is that um, we need to avoid projecting ourselves as God, right? Denying ourselves and looking to those around us to meet their needs. 
Now the second point that we're going to look at is the encouragement of the justice that the Lord provides against the world's false pursuits. Yes, you heard me correctly. The encouragement that resides in the justice of God. Right? We see in Psalm 37, those who do wrong will soon wither, they will die away. The wicked will be no more, the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming, their swords will pierce their own hearts, the power of the wicked will be broken, the wicked will perish, the Lord's enemies will vanish. I know for me, we, we can sometimes see God's punishment, judgment, and wrath as a little harsh. Right? But I think a little bit, we see it as harsh because we're convicted. Right? We, we see the righteous judgment of God, and we want the third option. Right? There's, there's two options, and we see it clearly here in Psalm 37. Right? There's the option that is the righteous. Right? Those who are turning to God, who are emptying their, themselves to do the work of the Lord. And in turn, we have the wicked. Right? We have the wicked who are pursuing their own needs. Right? They are not caring for the poor. Right? They are, they are looking to do evil to those who are, are trying to do good. Right? They're trying to usurp the Lord in any which way. And those people, as we see in here, right, the result of that is, is hell, right? It's an eternal separation from God, right? While well, the righteous get the opportunity to sit and rule at the right hand of the Father in heaven, the wicked <coughs> will spend eternity in hell. And like I said, a lot of times, right, we don't want it to be that black and white. Right? We don't want to acknowledge that, guess what? We're on one of those two tracks. Right? We are one of those two things. And our ultimate end place is those two places. Right? We like the third option. Well, isn't there like a, I can kind of pick and choose when to do the right thing, and then maybe there's like a third place for me, right? Maybe not quite as good as heaven, but, you know, not as bad as the judgment of hell, right? It's like our Facebook, uh, you know, we live in an age of, of non-commitment, right? Even our meeting, in, or our meeting in, and, uh, like, barbecue invitations, right? It goes, yes, no, Right, which we know are really the only options, right? You're either going or you're not. But Facebook gives us out, it says maybe. Right, like, I'll, I'll decide later. Right, and, and a lot of times we live in that comfort zone. Right, we live in that, well, I'll decide later if I'm going to go. Right, or in this context, I'll decide later if I'm going to obey the commands of the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, 
or if I'm going to pursue the ways of the wicked. <coughs> and the ways of the wicked and, and the result of that <coughs> can be convicting. Right? And again, like I said, these two ways, right? We're either following God or we're denying God. There's no other route. We're either following God or we're denying God. If we follow God, the story is a good one. If we deny God, if we choose self-indulgence to build our own kingdom here on earth, as if this there isn't a better, more fulfilling kingdom awaiting us, God's righteous judgment will end in death. But to truly appreciate Jesus and understand what he has done by sacrificing his life to atone for our sins, we have to understand what we're being saved from. Right? We have to acknowledge that if we don't deny ourselves, if we remain in our sinful nature and wicked ways, the wages of sin are death. So as we consider the wrath and justice of a righteous God, my hope is that we also see God's mercy. Here, right? As sinful humans, we all deserve what we see in, in Psalm 37 for the wicked. Right? We all deserve eternal hell, separated from God. Right? But He gives us a way through His Son, through giving up our life, denying ourselves a path to eternity with Him. Right? And so we wait patiently and expectantly to find salvation in the Lord. And that brings me to the third point. Right? And our main point, we're commanded to wait patiently for the Lord to act. In verse 7 it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Again, this theme relates to submitting to God. Right? We're called to wait patiently. Do not fret. Said differently, relax. God is in control. You worry about adhering to God's commands. And he will handle those that are in opposition of his commands. Relax. God is in control. You worry about adhering to God's commands. And he will handle those that are in opposition of his commands. I know for me this is a good reminder. Right? It can be easy to begin looking around, comparing and wondering how those around me can have so much, how they can appear to be so happy and have everything together. Right? In fact, if you've checked your Facebook feed lately, you've probably seen a snippet happy part of everyone's life. Right? And although we genuinely know that this Facebook facade 
sometimes, right, that we can put on by only posting our happy moments as we go about our lives. We know that that's not completely genuine, right? We know that people struggle. We know that we struggle, right? It's hard still not to covet and, and desire what we see others have. It's easy to be envious if we focus on a temporal perspective, right? The here and now, what we have here yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But if we focus ourselves on an eternal perspective, a Godward focus, it asks us to empty ourselves and focus on Him and His commands. And, to, and He will make sure that everything else falls in place. God is reminding us this morning from Psalm 37 not to fret about the things out of our control. Not to fret when men succeed in their ways that he will take care of the situation, and that those who hope in the Lord, which I hope is you and I today, will inherit the promised land of his kingdom. In verse 34, it implores, wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. In Waiting in God, by Andrew Murray, he says, Father, teach us how to wait. If salvation indeed comes from God and is entirely his work, just as creation was, it follows as a matter of course that our first and highest duty is to wait on him to do the work that pleases him. Our first and highest duty is to wait on Him to do the work that pleases Him. Just take a moment to rest in that for a moment. To rest in that assurance that whatever your situation and circumstance, whatever is causing you to fret or stress, that God has it covered. Right? That whatever you're scheming in your mind, whatever you're thinking and strategizing is your next step to deal with your next problem, God already has it figured out. God has already ordered those steps ahead of you. Yet we sit here and worry. We sit here and fret. We sit here and wonder how many ways we can do what we need to do. But as we submit to God, as we rely on Him, as we wait patiently on the Lord, we see His work. Right? Patience and waiting is counter to our culture and our nature. Right? We're filled with the ideas of, if you want it, get it. Right? Nike's famous slogan, just do it. Right? If you want it, go get it. Right? This is the land of opportunity. If you can see it, you can do it. If you can set your mind on it, you can accomplish it. 
Right? That's what our culture tells us to do. Our culture doesn't say, when you want something, wait patiently. Right? It doesn't say, when the Lord prompts you to sit back and pray and understand where he wants your steps to be. Right? And again, we talked about this in the Beatitudes, it's upside down. Right? It's not supposed to feel natural to us. Right? What's natural is our sinful nature. What's natural to us is acting before we understand. Right? Is doing before we think about it. Right? Is immediate gratification and an immediate result on something that we do. Right? But that's not how God's kingdom works. Right? He calls us to wait patiently. Right? And most of the time, when we try to do it ourselves, it comes at the cost of obedience to Christ. Right? As I think of most of the situations in my life that I have and am trying to order. Right? The things that I'm trying to fix. Right? It comes at a cost for someone else. Right? It comes at stepping over someone else to get what I want. Right? It's a, it focuses on what I need to do what I, to get what I want, but it doesn't worry about the person to the left and right of me. It doesn't think about what the effects are for someone that is interacting with me or getting in my way. And so I, I think that's why God calls us to wait patiently. Right? To trust in Him. To submit to Him. To rest in His presence. Because by our own standards, we will we'll fall out of obedience to what He's called us to do. So the challenge this week, the call is for patient prayer. When you find yourself in a tough situation or in a, in a situation where you feel equipped to quickly act, right? Many times what allows us to not wait patiently is the false understanding that we're equipped to do what we need to do. Right? Is an overstatement of what what we can do. Right? So the call here this week is to wait on the Lord. Our God is patient with us as we sin over and over. He continues to love us although we turn our back on Him every second of every day. And in this scripture, he commands us, he asks us, in obedience, to wait patiently on him. So to exhibit who he is as a patient God, our call this week is to patiently wait on him. Now, finally, we see with patience, we see, again, the idea of meekness. Right? We saw this idea of meekness in the Beatitudes, where in Matthew 5, 5, 
It states, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In Psalm 37, verse 11, it states, But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Now, the meek, a term we don't use regularly because it isn't valued in our culture, are those who are quiet and humble, those who appropriately assess themselves in light of who God is. That idea that the quiet and humble will rule and reign at the right hand of Jesus is counter to what the world tells us we should do and be. We should be bold. We should embrace and build on our strengths. We should capitalize on what makes us stand out. But this idea that we should be meek, that we should wait on the Lord, creates this upside-down kingdom that God has created for the Holy Spirit, for those that are set apart. So, I, so in addition to, to waiting patiently, I challenge us to consider our meekness. Right? To properly assess ourselves in light of who God is. <coughs> to take stock in who we are not by our strength and our abilities but to humble ourselves before God to embrace a quiet and humble approach to our world in the hope that we will someday inherit the kingdom of God so as I wrap up this morning the Lord illuminated to us the need to submit to our Lord and Savior, denying ourselves and seeing and meeting the needs of those around us. A reminder of the implication of sin, which is justice and judgment of a righteous God. And finally, a call to wait patiently on the Lord in meekness. Let us be a people who acknowledges our sinful nature and need for a Savior. A people who deny ourselves and submit to a righteous God. A people who pray for, seek, and meet needs of those around us. A people who in an upside-down kingdom of God are meek and patiently wait on the Lord in prayer. Let's pray.